I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll think... tell you what I think. What's that you say? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Hey. Hey. Listen. Shut up and listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen with me, Heather Matarazzo. Um, so we're a week and a few days into um, what has been, I think, um, exhausting <laughs> for so many women, um, not only in, in my industry of entertainment, but, um, just throughout the United States and also like maybe the world, um, you know, and as of last night, I think there have been 51 accusers that have, um, come forward regarding Harvey Weinstein. Um, and I know that I've been reading a lot of other pieces that have been coming out, um, where women are utilizing their voice and, um, talking about the other kinds of Harvey Weinsteins that are just as, um, predatory, um, and might not hold as much quote unquote power, um, in terms of getting to make kings and queens, but, you know, um, they still have, uh, power regardless. And, you know, the, the guest that I have tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful is here and, and she's been scheduled twice before. Um, and, and has unfortunately had to cancel, but we, we got to see each other last night and she had commented and I wholeheartedly agreed that the universe was waiting for us, um, <laughs> to have this conversation. Um, and that part of me feels like, I don't even want to be like, it's perfect timing. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it's what it is like, that's the irony of life, you know, um, it's funny because it's true and it's true because it's sad. So who's this guest I'm talking about? Um, it is Emily Best, who is the creator of Wimps, which is Women in Motion Pictures, and, um, she has not only been like an advocate, but she has been a fierce trailblazer in terms of getting to build a community of women within the entertainment industry. You know, um, <clears throat> I'll let you, Emily, like talk about the, the birth of wimps and all that really great stuff. Um, you know, but she really is, she is, She's a beautiful, beautiful being, and I'm I'm grateful that I I get to have her in my life. Um, 
And yeah, welcome, Emily. Thank yes. you. Um, <clears throat> there's a helicopter flying over just in my honor. Yeah. Um, just to really put a button on what was the nicest intro I'll ever get in my life. Um, so far. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Emily. Um, I have a website called Seed and Spark. Um, that's oh like, my God, I'm such a fucking <laughs> asshole. That's a <laughs> Fuck me up the ass. Yes, and fucking Seed and Spark, for fuck's sakes. Uh, I only say that in the context of like how wimps could possibly have happened uh, because, and wimps, it's funny, I should say this more often, uh, was not intentional. I, the, the story of the name is, <clears throat> I just wanted to call it the Women in Film Salon. Mm-hmm. And I went to a meeting with Sue Nagel, um, who was kind enough to take some time with me. And I told her about this thing and I asked her if she would come and speak to this group of women. And she's like, Ugh, but you know, like the women in film thing, like leaves women in TV out. Mm. And I was like, on my honest reaction was like, are you serious? Okay, fine. Uh, we'll just call it the women in moving pictures salon. And I didn't think for a second what the acronym would be because I wasn't officially naming an organization. I was just like, there's a group of women who get together every month, want to come. <laughs> and in order to do that, you have to like call it something. And then actually after, you know, six or seven months of salons, uh, we looked at each other and we were like, hi, white ladies. Why, why is this room so monotone? Mm-hmm. And, um, we made a really concerted effort to um, diversify the community. And then six months after that, a, a member said, you know, I don't identify as a woman anymore. Am I not welcome here? And we were like, no, what? So then we were like, the I just might as well be intersectionality because what we're actually after what WIMPs is, the salon itself, is about sitting at that uncomfortable intersection and really mining that for what inspires us creatively, for what activates us um, politically, for what um, confuses us and distresses us and what we don't know how to talk about. And the only way we can do it is by being in a room full of incredibly diverse Women, and I mean diverse, all backgrounds, all ages, creed, color, sexual orientation, ability, you name it. We got it. Yeah. Uh, And, and it's a, it's a room for like strengthening your ideas ultimately. Yeah. Um, But it started with Rose McGowan. Um, Irony of ironies. I know. It's sort of amazing, isn't it? Um, So in 2014, I was at Sundance for Seed and Spark Things, which is the only reason it would be relevant to bring it up right now. And uh, I went to a panel uh, that Tangerine Entertainment had put on. um, And it was was a couple of creators. Rose was on it because she had just directed that incredible short film, Dawn, which Mm -hmm. I just loved. And there were lots of questions around being a woman in the business because that's like the only thing we're allowed to talk about sometimes. And... I just asked a really frank question about being a a known person on the internet with strong opinions who also identifies as female. Mm -hmm. And she got really kind of emotional uh, and 
then we met afterwards and kind of had a moment and agreed to have lunch in LA and we got together in LA and she was like, I am, I don't want to work with men anymore. I want to direct. I want to work with women producers. I want to work with women DPs. You know, do you know anyone? And I was like, I could introduce you. <laughs> yeah, I got a cadre of them. And this was, I had been in LA only for, as a, as a, as a citizen, as an Angelino for a month and a half. Yeah. But I had been working in this space for a long time. So I had a lot of friends here. And so I thought it was a nice opportunity for me to like kind of have a housewarming slash thing. I invited her over and a bunch of female uh, DPs and producers and creators who I was really excited for her to talk to. And, uh, and I invited 13 women and 26 women showed up Yeah, and uh, and then we screened her film and we talked about stuff and went around the room and everybody kind of talked about what they needed, what they were excited about, what they did. And at the end, they all said, God, we should do this again. I was like, great. So I did it the next month, invited the same women, was like, if you want to bring friends, you're welcome to. And the month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that. And it's, you know, it's three and a half years later. Um, about six months in, there were 90 women on the invite list. Uh, and they asked for me to create like a Google group so they could share resources and hire each other for jobs and, you know, um, create ISOs, right, in search of whatever you might need for yeah. your production or whatever. Um, and uh, that list is now 2,100 women and growing really fast. Um, it is still just a Google group of women uh, using it to gather resources, but we're also using it to uh, support each other, to vet contacts, to seek out contacts, to get advice. Um, and I think of it in some ways as a combination of like the good new girls network mm -hmm. and the whisper circle. Yeah. Right. Because there definitely is a, a utility for it of like, has anybody worked with this producer before? What's your experience? Yeah. Right. And and that is the informal way that we've protected each other for a very long time is like, I know what I can't say in public, but I'll tell you what I can say to my friends. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be new in the city, it's really useful because now you have twenty one hundred friends to tap for. Um, resources advice and you you're you, you're basically immediately not the ingenue who you know only knows what they've heard from from the from the news stories but yeah. like it's an immediate network of people who've been working here for a long time who can say no don't work with that person or like yeah. here's what you can expect yeah for sure and will you will you talk a little bit I still feel like such a fucking asshole <clears throat> like <laughs> I forgive you, oh, Heather. I feel like such a fucking asshole. Fucking seed and spark, which is so fucking incredible, which I'm like really looking forward and excited to like, because that's like originally like KT, yeah. you know, um, who, you know, was like your right hand woman before she moved to Seattle. <laughs> she still works with um, us. She, she still does. Um, but like had reached out to be like, Emily and I want to see how like you can work, how we can all work together with like seed and spark. Um, but like I get so inundated with like wimps emails on a daily basis, sure. <laughs> um, which is like beautiful and incredible. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, so fortunate, but please talk about fucking seed and spark. <laughs> as I just like bite my hat. Uh, 
So we are a subscription streaming platform that's built to make the entertainment business more diverse and inclusive. Um, if you're an audience member, you can subscribe for $6.99 a month and get uh, a pretty incredible curated um, experience of totally intersectional programming, like really, truly intersectional programming. So we've gone through and we're still it's that's the newest part of the website. And we're still, you know, finding our footing. Some of the ways that we've talked about it are like, see yourself and see others, <laughs> because I think a problem with algorithmic recommending is um, you become the nichest audience in the world. And based on what you watch, they recommend you more stuff like that and more stuff like that until yeah. you might not notice it. But everybody you're watching looks just like you. Um, and that's actually statistically borne out yes. with what's being made and produced for most other streaming platforms. So we really take the view that like our job is to um, guide people down a path to greater empathy, you know, not only see themselves represented, but also see, see others represented in interesting and nuanced ways. Yeah. Um, we're also a crowdfunding platform, which is a, a main, uh, driver of how we make the business more diverse and inclusive. So the crowdfunding platform, um, which we launched in 2013 is now the most successful in the world for movies and shows has the highest campaign success rate and project size and audience per project, uh, done data bragging, um, <clears throat> uh, more than 800 movies and shows have sought their funding and it's not like just anyone can post anything. Um, we have a, a pretty rigorous submission process, not around rejecting stuff, but around making sure filmmakers are really prepared to crowdfund. Um, most filmmakers, most people, when they approach crowdfunding are prepared to do something called friend funding, yeah. which is, uh, ask that hit up their friends and family for cash. Um, what the vast majority of filmmakers are not prepared to do is actually crowdfund because, uh, the crowd part happens for months before you actually launch a campaign. So we do a ton of education all around the country and on our website and in our submission process to make sure filmmakers have really done the work to be really successful. And that's why we have, in, I think in 2017, it's like an 80% campaign success rate. Wow. Where like Kickstarter's 39% yeah. in film and Indiegogo is 11% uh, that has been published, but not by Indiegogo. So yeah. they'll, they'll contest that figure, but they won't provide data to back up their numbers. Of, of course. So that's fine. Um, to each his or her own, um, or there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so now we're, what we're really trying to do is build a new ecosystem. And like my greatest dream for it is that we could become what, the original United Artists. Yes. Mary Pickford. Yeah. W I w wanted to be, which was an artist driven studio yeah. where the people who were the greatest beneficiaries of the audience dollars spent on the work are the artists. Yes. Um, we want to ultimately be the thinnest line possible between the creators and their audiences. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the problem with the original United Artist Studio is 
all their competitors owned the distribution channels. Mm -hmm. Number one, (laughs) that made it really challenging. Number two, you had to transport giant reels of film all over the country. Like the cost of distribution was so incredibly high. Um, And because they were not a public company, they couldn't raise a ton of cash to make their movies. So they were in just such an impossible environment to succeed. And this was pre-trust busting, right? So, I mean, they were really in a difficult place. Um, But now we are, I think, uniquely positioned to um, connect the creators who are really inspiring audiences to the tools they need to actually like understand those audiences with things like data, Mm -hmm. which is not scary. It can be quite beautiful. Um, And then um, reap the monetary rewards for having cultivated that community um, without a lot of bullshit in between. Yeah. That was a long answer. No, I mean, that that was a very thorough answer. And and I appreciate thoroughness. It's so funny, like, I like just sitting here, like, within this moment and, and even hearing that that was a very long answer. Um, all of the ways in which we passively apologize. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Sorry. Not sorry. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's it, it's a beautiful beautiful thing you know and um tag along <laughs> you know that it's you know that it's not a good podcast unless tag along makes a statement i was gonna say your your audiences must be well familiar with the fact that we are broadcasting from dr doolittle's office yes that is that is very very true you know or just like animal rescue happen i know i know and like emily was just looking at nanea who looks so sad and so comfortable so comfortable and so sad you know her and i we share the same birthday (gasps) really Mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah she's a little scorpio she looks like i feel this week oh yeah like a, a heap oh yeah for sure it, it's should we just go there i mean yeah let's just fucking go there for fuck's sakes so <clears throat> so most men are learning that they too have likely been on the other side of a me too yes uh they're learning the scope and scale of what women have dealt with Every single day. And may I just say... No. No. (laughs) Sorry. To my... I said this to my husband last night. I think the like superhuman potential of humankind has been locked up in the energy women have been burning dealing with sexual harassment for the last couple hundred years. Yeah. And then imagine how women of color feel. Oh my God. Actually, that's where the superpower is. In, in that energy lost. Um, like, I just... <clears throat> it's... The truth is, I don't really know what to say. Um, you know, I was telling Heather last week um, 
And for those of you who don't know, I'm talking about my partner. Yes, her name is also Heather. Um, and no, it's not confusing. <laughs> that makes it really easy, actually. It's, it's really, it's really, really easy. Um, you know, but I was, I was telling her, you know, I like this past year, you know, like <clears throat> I've been really getting to look and grow, um, in a lot of ways, especially gr- regarding my own experience with rape. Um, that did not happen at the hands of someone within this industry, you know, um, and very, very far removed and, you know, it's like just room enough for one perpetrator (laughs) and PTSD. And then the Harvey Weinstein thing broke and I started reading account after account after account after account. And all of a sudden it was, I felt like the universe was saying, okay, now it's time to look at some more. Now it's time to actually, you know, um, expand your view of your history Mm. in regards to, um, sexual harassment Mm -hmm. and, um, impropriety and, all the different, um, varieties of inappropriate behavior. Um, and I was like, I, I didn't sign up for this, but again, like (laughs) who did, right? That's exactly right. Is on the one hand, there's a certain catharsis that the dam is bursting. And on the other hand, it is being re-traumatized 4,000 times a day. You know, like somebody posted on social media recently that their therapist had said, it's fine to switch off social media. We've, we were not built to contain human suffering at scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have felt that for a long time and I have to sort of moderate my use. But when I flipped on Facebook and the only thing in my feed, I mean, for the past three days, has been Me Too plus accounts. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a, I don't know, it's a, it is a sick combination of like morbid curiosity and a sense of duty that I have been consuming the, the, the posts that my friends have decided to put out because I feel like I owe it to them. Yeah. Um, and I also want to know because they're revealing something that is so powerfully intimate and has affected who they've become. So it's, it's like sickly also another way to get to know them, know them. Yes. You know, like we're doing a giant collective cultural trauma bond right now. It's funny because it's true and it's true True because it's it's sad. Um, And, uh, and so I, I end every day. It's so interesting what you just said, remembering new things. Yes. Because it did. That happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that too, you know, like, so there was a, there was a salon last night and I'm just, 
I'm really a bad with names. Um, You're talking about Caroline? No. Why would? What do you mean? No, 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 no. I'm not because it's so it's so funny because I I was uh yeah the yeah I'm like yeah no I'm not I'm not gonna go there but I was thinking of somebody else like with that same name and that's oh why I sorry was like, what no um but I just wanted to because you talked about like the hashtag me too oh yeah and I just want to <clears throat> as a side note be very, very clear, you know, um, Alyssa Milano, you know, um, brought that back out, but I, I just want to make sure that it's very, very clear that she is not the creator of the Me Too hashtag, and that goes, um, the Me Too hashtag was created by uh, Tarana Burke, who began a grassroots movement in 2006 in response to a lack of resources um, about handling sexual abuse and assault in underprivileged communities. Um, so it's it's really important, I feel, to give credit where credit's due, um, and that women of color have been leading this charge um, <clears throat> a lot longer um, than white women. Um, so I, I just feel that it's really, really important to, um, you know, name those names, you know, um, cause often I, I feel like a lot of times is that is the case. And again, like we talked about last night, you know, um, <clears throat> Thaddeus Newton came out last year talking about her assault and, Nobody really did anything or said anything. I didn't even hear about it until you said that last night. Like I didn't, the that press didn't even surface to me. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy. Yeah, and there's and 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 so for me, you know, there's there's something um, there's something to be said. There's there's a lot to be said. You know, like it it there's so many different facets, and the truth is. I personally feel that we don't give ourselves enough credit and I'm talking about women as a whole, um, not just like white ladies, (laughs) um, in regards to the containers that we have in terms of we're able to hold so much space for so much. That's right. Um, partially because I feel like we've been forced to. Yes. Um, and, and with that, you know, so we had the salon last night and the guest speaker was Caroline Heldman, Heldman, um, who's fucking great. She's incredible. And also made me want to set myself on fire. Um, <laughs> just based off the statistics and there's some, I, I really hate a statistic because I feel like it's so dehumanizing, Yeah, you know, and, and, and like was said last night, but somebody else, you know, there's, we have all of the statistics in regards to women, you know, and that's what we focus on, mm-hmm. but we never focus on the statistics of men regarding being the perpetrator and the rapist. Right. You know, and what she said that was like 4%. So 
So in campus assault specifically, yeah, um, it's like ninety percent of the rapes are perpetrated by four percent uh, of whatever the population. So it, there's ninety six percent of dudes who are mostly not raping, which is not like a congratulations. Yeah, you status. don't get, you don't get a cookie for not raping. Yeah, <laughs> and if you're not following how to not rape on Twitter, uh, you should do that now. Um, uh, the, the astonish like, so that's one statistic that is very specific to sexual assault. Um, as it pertains to, um, sexual harassment, making women uncomfortable, undermining them at work, Mm -hmm. uh, not standing up to misogyny, when you see it, when women aren't in the room, um, locker room talk, uh, voting a sexual predator into the White House because he tells it like it is or whatever, like pick your list. <clears throat> we get much closer to 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think we are seeing that reflected in... Um, in I don't know I don't I can't speak for everyone else's community like I feel like uh the men around me are are like really struggling in the in a lot of the right ways mm-hmm. not like oh this is about me um but really like oh fuck I have participated yeah. And now I got to figure out what to do. Yes. And we hope that it's not all being diffused in these beautifully crafted Facebook posts of like, here's what I feel like I might have done and here's how I will do better and I'm sorry. Like, that's definitely not going to do it. No. No. Absolutely not. Um, and <laughs> I feel like we got to fucking start somewhere. And I do see conversations happening in my community uh, that have not happened before in this way. Where, like, where I used to have to fight the most uphill battle with some of my quote unquote wokest dude friends just to get to the baseline of I believe that things are harder for women in certain ways. Now they're like, got it holy shit, so much worse than I could have imagined. So like there's less explaining that I'm having to do and we're getting a lot closer to the like men just being like, what can I do? I need to help. What can I do? Now now I don't have to take care of their feelings as much. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing that is so interesting and I'm gonna say this to the white ladies. I hope everybody liked my song. Um... (laughs) It was white lady jazz. It was white lady jazz. Um, you know, but every single thing you're saying is a reverberation of what I've been hearing from women of color regarding um, white women in particular mm-hmm. in the sense of we've been telling you for the longest time, mm-hmm. you know, and then when it's, you know, they talk about like, not they, it, because I was thinking of last night. There's another helicopter. 
because where I live is becoming scarier on a daily basis. Um, yeah, there was like a, there was a, what do you call it? There was like a break in sexual assault, like in my neighborhood last night. Um, I, I don't even know where to go from there. Um, but it's like really, it's really loud. But also, like, just, like, everybody that's listening from God knows where, it is fucking hot as balls here in L.A. Um, Which makes people crazy. There's always an October heat wave, and we always think disgusting. that it's not going to happen, and then it makes us all crazy. It's, it, it's insane. But back to the point is that, you know, <clears throat> women of color have been saying this to white women for God knows how long in regards to... Um, having to explain and whatever. And then all of a sudden, like the white tears of guilt come and oh my God, I'm so sorry. Which then on top of that puts the added burden on where it's now I, now you're asking me to To take take care care of of your your feelings. feelings. Um, as opposed to being an adult and putting on your fucking, you know, big girl underwear. I hate the word panties. It's a gross Um, word. Such a disgusting word. Um, that's why we're friends. (laughs) It's the only reason we're friends. Just mutual abhorrence of the word panties. So disgusting. (laughs) Like, uh, it makes like, uh, I'm going to like shoot myself in the face, but I hate guns. Um, anyway, um, you know, where it's like in this again, like always perfect segues. Um, so guys, you have, they're like looking for someone. They are looking for someone. I wonder if it's me. Probably not. I hope not. <laughs> because I've got too much to do. I've got too much to got do. got no really time do. for SWAT. I, I, I have no time for any of that. Um, so as I was telling Emily um, before we started this, because there's always the convo before the convo, Um, And I checked with my friend before um, I, like, I asked if it was okay to share this. And then he said yes. So Nick Dawson, who is the head of um, Talkhouse Film, you know, he had um, put down a post earlier today that um, talked about, you know, a podcast And being like, what about like Louis C.K. and like blah, blah, blah. So this is just what he wrote. He wrote, in the last hour, I posted about doing a podcast with Louis C.K., not properly recognizing how tone deaf an idea that was. But Heather Matarazzo called me and talked me through all that it implied to have done this. I'm incredibly grateful for having friends like her who will patiently help me and steer me right when I blunder and wander off course. Um... Because of the deep-rooted reticence to be vocal, I've been too quiet about all the horror that has come out in the wake of all this Harvey Weinstein stuff. But I want to be a genuine ally. And I want people to know that I support them. I want to listen and challenge how I think and make positive changes to myself. And if people want to share them, I would love to hear ideas on how TalkHouse can be as positive a force as possible, how it can advance the conversation, how it can best give voice to those who who most need it. Um, And... 
And again, that was in the wake of him thinking that it would be a good idea to have Louis C.K. on a podcast, maybe talking with like Tignataro, um, which somebody else had suggested, like a fucking asshole. Um, and I, I read it and I, I got so fucking upset like so fucking upset where I'm like, why the fuck could you give like a predator a platform? And uh, I'm grateful that, you know, it, I might be a little dense sometimes in terms of learning, um, regarding that there are moments where I am in a state of forgetting. So I will react without thinking, Mm. And it, it's because a button has been pushed and I'm just, whoosh. and because of that, you know, I've naturally then suffered the consequences, but it's only luckily happened to me three times, um, where now when I feel my button being pushed, you know, as, um, somebody had, had shared with me the other day, you know, there's a difference between calling out and calling in. And, you know, if I really desire to put my, I don't even want to say like money where my mouth is. Cause I'm like, I don't got that much money. Um, <laughs> but if I desire to put my principles, um, and who I present myself as and want to be. And desire to be. Yeah. Um, I, I've really got to be willing to do that work and, and expand self, you know, and be willing to have honest, uncomfortable conversations with people, you know, and being able to utilize my voice and share my feelings without... What the fuck? You guys, like, there's there's light coming in through the window. This is, like, a full Angelino evening experience. It really, it really is, and I hope that you guys can still hear us. Like, these, this is, like, a great shout-out to my Patreons. Like, if it wasn't for my Patreons, like, A, would not have this recording equipment, let alone have these mics that I think you can... You can be in a huge windstorm and still have a decent conversation. Um, and I think they've left now. So they found him yes. or her. Probably him. Sorry. It's okay. Were they? They. They found them. They found them. Whatevs. I mean, I just, I just, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's, can, do you want to keep going or can I react no, to something go, that go, you're go. saying? So um, I really hear this because. moderating wimps for so many years now and so many sessions. Um, I feel like I'm sort of, I, I, I've become really finely tuned to when, uh, people on the same side of an argument are arguing. Yes. And it happens when you get really inflexible about language or unforgiving about mistakes. Um, and, because my job at WIMPs is to keep us on the same side and moving forward 
in the conversation so that we all feel like we've learned something and can do something together. Um, I've become just so incredibly aware uh, of the calling out behavior and um, you know, part of it I'm sure is based on my own fear of getting called out for something that I was blind to, but also it's that I know how well intentioned I am. And so if I fucked up, I would hope that my, my friends would call me and be like, Emily, you really fucked up. And let me explain to you why. Be- not because I deserve that as a white person, but because I- that's what I have friends for. Yeah. Like I have a community because it's my, co- it's, it's my collective intelligence. I need my friends to help me be the person that I want to be. That's, we're social creatures. We don't exist in a vacuum. Nobody is supposed to have a super well-informed opinion about everything in spite of social media's best efforts to make us feel that way. Ah. And so if, you know, I get caught up in the, in the needing to feel well-informed about everything, I'm going to fuck up and I'm relying on my friends to be like, ooh, that was really tone deaf. Yeah, and and with that, there's there's something to be said, right? Where, <clears throat> sorry, in a way that doesn't publicly shame me, because what that's not what friends do to each other. No, that's what that's what strangers on social media might do, and that's why we're possibly fucked as a society right now. It's that like you need the friends around you you rely on to notice the thing. So if you don't have friends that you feel like can like help you create greater nuance, that's a problem in your friend group. Number yeah, 1. Absolutely. And number 2, um you should be able to rely on them to call you and tell you what you missed. Absolutely. Call and on the phone. Not call you out, call you on the phone. Yeah, call you on the phone or FaceTime or in person over what? some cocktails. In person? Yeah, in person. Do we do that anymore? I mean, we're doing it now. That's true. We've done it twice in, in, in two days. Week. Um, yeah, and and with that too, you know, being able to have ears that hear. That's right? so important. And and so I feel like when there's the experience of a quote unquote call in, sometimes it can feel like a quote unquote call out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the immediate experience is defensiveness and, and that I feel, you know, especially with what's going on right now, <clears throat> you know, there was somebody that somebody else that was a white dude, um, that had been, and I really always find it on Facebook. It like really is like the Fox News of social media. Like it really fucking is. Man. Has anybody said that in public before? Because that is the most quotable quote. Facebook is the Fox News of social media. Oh, that's mine. That's, Genius. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> Little line underneath, Heather Matarazzo. There you go. That's going to get retweeted a million times. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Mostly on Twitter, because Twitter is going to be like, retwe- boost, boost that, boost that. Yeah, I, I don't want to be remembered for quotes well, that are great, like, be the change you wish to see in the world. <laughs> Sorry, you know? Twitter is maybe the Breitbart, depending <laughs> on the day, so. I mean, yes, 
and it's it's I feel like Twitter is an apartment complex. Oh, so good. Yeah. Like Twitter is an apartment complex that is and I know that I'm sure a lot of people have um a lot of different experiences or visuals that spring to mind when I talk about like an apartment complex. But like for me, you know, my grandparents, while they were still alive, they lived on the Lower East Side. You know, they... The old Lower East Side. The, the old fucking Lower East Side. Yeah. Where like an apartment complex was like an apartment complex, you know, or like you look at like Stytown, that's on like between 19th to 23rd Street and 1st Avenue. You know, where it's, it's like I a think fucking it's fancy now. unit. I mean, I think they redid it. I'm so fucking grateful to not live in New York anymore. Yeah. Side note. I'm so fucking glad because I feel like if I had still lived in New York, one or two things would have happened. I either a definitely would have killed myself and, or I would have been arrested for like, Assault with a deadly weapon. Heather Matarazzo with the cleaver on First Avenue. Well, you know, I mean, it's. Like, here's something I want to ask you. Because, so how long have you lived in L.A. now? Uh, Since January 2014. 2014. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Wow, that's so crazy because I I moved here in September of 2014. And where were you before? New York. You were in New York. Yeah. My God, where were you in New York? Uh, Mostly in Brooklyn, all over Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Uh, I started in North Slope Mm -hmm. and then uh, Cobble Hill and Mm -hmm. then uh, like Crown Heights. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was on 53rd between 1st and 2nd, 13 years. Get out. Yeah. 53rd between 1st and 2nd in a 200 square foot apartment. Like literally the, the size, size of, of the this. kitchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like f- forget the size of this because like the, I like, I had a Murphy bed and I could stand on the Murphy bed and I had a shit mattress too. I could stand on this Murphy bed And I could touch the ceiling. That's how low the ceilings were. That sounds about right. Like such a fucking box. Um, And no, but like the reason that I ask that is because, you know, I lived in downtown LA for a year. Me too. Where were you in downtown? I was in the toy factory. Like right on, uh, on industrial and Mateo, like, you know, arts district. I was on six in Maine. Girl, no, we were, we faded to be friends. <laughs> and like, and, and again, this goes, this goes to so many things, right? Um, <clears throat> I'm like, I feel like I'm about to like have a big, um, like emotional shit. Not really. That was so gross, but I didn't know how else to like say it. Um, <laughs> I like really very evocative. Um, like, 
like emotional placenta. I'm about to birth something that's big. Anyway, (laughs) the point is, the point is, is that, you know, like I had ordered right after the election, I had ordered a pocket knife that was in the shape of a key, Mm. you know, because even like when the sun was out in downtown LA, you know, I lived a block from Skid Row and it goes into so many different things, right? It goes into homelessness. It goes into mental illness. It also goes into just, and then it also goes just into womanness and and getting to protect oneself. Yeah. Right. And well, most women hold their keys as if they're going to have to stab someone. So you might as well just have a key that can stab someone. Exactly. My feelings. Exactly. My feelings. I'm going to order one of those. I will let you know what the thing is. Um, And I like remember like there were several several occasions where homeless men or just men in general would like say shit. And like I had my thing out. I was like it was like a don't fuck with me, Mm. you know. And unlike New York in Los Angeles, you can get a ticket for jaywalking. Uh, not anymore, though. They did just, they, they, I think they just ended that. When? Sorry, was that? not to, not to sideline you, but like I saw that headline like last week. Wait, what? Yeah. No, but it was a $400 ticket for jaywalking. It wasn't just any ticket for jaywalking. Well, I'm doubly glad, A, that I've never gotten a ticket for jaywalking, but I was always like very self conscious and aware and also just, uh, for fuck's sakes, like people that are listening, a side note, part of me just wants to like give all of you a big hug that like you got to be a part of this conversation and that you got to listen and that you dedicate like your time and your energy to like these conversations. Like it means a lot. Um, and B, I don't trust cops. I don't like cops. Like it's like, I know like not all cops, whatever. But like, let's be real. Like, the origin of the police were the slave patrols. So, know your history. Know your history. Um, So, with that, you know, in those instances where I felt uncomfortable or threatened and really desired to cross the street, then there's also, like, the added thing of, I also don't want to get a fucking ticket. Oh my God, I never thought about that. Um, Like the one, like our most basic trick as women is you just cross the street if you feel uncomfortable. mm -hmm. It didn't even occur to me that the jaywalking thing downtown, and I have so many friends who've come from New York and gotten jaywalking tickets downtown specifically. That's a trap. Yeah. That's like a weird messed up trap. Yeah, where it's where it's what's more important, like in a moment, like your personal safety or four hundred dollars. Yeah, and and like with that too, it's and and that's why, like, I was going to ask you in terms of like, what is it that you have done, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as a woman to quote unquote feel safe or feel. 
um, a sense of empowerment because that little thing like the fucking, you know, key knife, whatevs. Yeah. And like, yes, it's legal. I like did all the fucking like research. Yeah. Um, for like California. Um, but like, I don't give a, fu- like, do not fuck with me. Yeah. Like, do not fuck with me. And honestly, that thing that mm-hmm. you feel, mm-hmm. which then emanates out of your body is probably your greatest protective resource mm-hmm. because I do think in the same way that like we can walk past someone and the hairs on the back of our neck stand up and we're like, well, we just narrowly missed murder. You know, like you're just, you know, you're very attuned to people in the world. They're also attuned to you. And I do think that one in a suite of useful tools is walking down the street with a do not fuck with me attitude. I have to say, this is an attitude I would like not to have to have. I would like to not burn the energy that it takes for me to, and it's not energy that I even think about burning anymore, but I know it burns energy to like exude that. Cause that's part of my protective measurement. Well, yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a dopamine increase. It's, I, I think I mean, it's a testosterone increase legit. I think it's like, it is, it is, that is one of the things that, uh, increases in women when you're like putting those power moves on. Yeah. And in which case, I feel like waxing should be free, as should laser hair removal. Um, (laughs) Wait, make that leap for me? (laughs) Well, just like thinking of like testosterone and like whatever and like progesterone and like every single thing that like goes on in our body. And then it just made me think of like women and like Movember and mustaches and facial hair and all that other fucking shit. Like... (laughs) whatever the fuck, all the shit that we have to fucking deal with. Um, that being the least of it. Um, I think tampon should be free. I think that every single thing that has to do with being a woman, I feel like should be free. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Or deeply discounted. Or at least not taxed, uh, at a greater rate than things that are not for women. They're like taxed in most states as luxuries it's it's the vagina tax it's a luxury to have a vagina yeah which is why i think that everybody should um so men should pay that tax and they should just mail their bloody tampons um to the senate yeah so gross (laughs) yeah for sure Uh, absolutely mail your bloody tampons to the senate um until you don't have to pay the tax for tampons anymore because that also then goes like socioeconomic, right? Where it's if because the tax is a fucking tax is a fucking tax, and I also like don't want to go down like a fucking rabbit hole, and I kind of want to stay on track. Um, we were talking about things that we have done as women to protect ourselves. Yes. So don't fuck with me as a an internal attitude is one. Um, I took a self-defense course when I was quite young. My dad's second wife uh, is now... Is there a story there? 
Yeah, it's yeah, okay. it's actually that one's that one is pretty tame. Uh, I still have a really great relationship with her. She's mm-hmm. in her sixties, and she is a kung fu sansu master. What? That is seven degrees of black belt, years of study, becomes a master. Um, and she, uh, when she was sort of earlier in her training, um started working with the master that she trained under on these self-defense courses. And it happened to be when I was like 12 and 13. So I went to these self-defense courses and there was, there was a lot that you learned about protecting yourself physically in the case of an attack. But more importantly, I felt like what I took away was, um, a spatial awareness. Mm. And it happened young enough that, it be- it became not an obsession, but just I really took it in. Hmm. And so when I moved to Barcelona, for example, where like you can get pickpocketed doing anything. Like the pickpockets there are good. Like all of the things that they sell you of like the, the thing that goes around your neck or the thing that goes around your face. Like they've, they've thought of all of it yeah. and they can pick your pocket and they have genius techniques Genius techniques. Um, and I was like, I am not getting my shit stolen while I live in Barcelona. And I studied abroad there. And then I went back and I lived there for several years. And I never had anything stolen, which is more than I can say from then <laughs> everyone else who came to visit me. And I'm not like celebrating myself here, but I know that it came from being incredibly spatially aware of who was in front, behind, and on either side of me at all times when I was in public. And that is something that I am at all times now. Yes. Um, And there are a few times when I've let my guard down because of, you know, I'm on the cell phone or I'm thinking about something else, like Mm -hmm. on the subway. Yes. And I had a fucking boner stuck in my back when I was 19. Um, That poor man, I punched him so hard in his hard dick. Uh, and I screamed at him so that everybody knew what he did. Good for you. Um, I still wept when I got off the subway. It didn't feel like a powerful moment. I got yeah, off and no. I was like, <laughs> um, but I, I do feel like there is, um, a demand on women to know their space so carefully in order to defend it. And it's really unfair to be, to be perfectly frank. Like I shouldn't have to walk down the street um, worried that at any moment, at any angle, I could mm-hmm. be groped or chided or called or whatever. Yeah. And yet I walk down the street and I know before it happens to me who's in my path, who's going to oh, yeah. say some shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course you did. And now I've actually started to feel guilty recently. So there's a giant construction site near my office. And I walk by there a lot of times. And I find myself like really stealing myself. Mm -hmm. And they never say anything. And then I walk by and I'm like, I was an asshole to all of those men. I just, I prejudged them. That was unfair. Like, but no, but this is the actual mental Olympics that happened. Like an entire lifetime of training right? For me to have a perfectly reasonable uh, assumption that this thing is going to happen. And then when it doesn't, I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. It's such, (laughs) it's such, it's such 
fucking bullshit. And again, it's like I like automatically think with like every single thing that you say, right? Where it's like getting to New York space and like I literally like I always just think of like my friends, you know, who are women of color where it's like not only having to be so aware of your space as a woman, you know, but having to be aware of like the white space that you're fucking inhabiting, you know? Um, I mean, that's a thing that you can actually only unpack if you are, if you have a diverse community of actual friends and, you know, we talk about this a lot at Seed and Spark because one of the, one of the things we ask when people run, I swear this is connected. It's not just like a company plug. When people run crowdfunding campaigns, they have to um, make a public statement about how their project increases diversity and inclusion in front of and behind the camera. Yeah. And we find that there are some teams of filmmakers who are like shocked that they should have to think about the team behind the camera because they're just making movies with their friends. <laughs> Like, I don't have any money. I'm not hiring people. I'm just making movies with my friends. I'm like, then look at your company of friends. Like, if your entire group of friends is other people who look exactly like you, are exactly the same age, gender, orientation, Mm -hmm. ability, Mm -hmm. number one, do you think that's the most powerful creative team you could create? Number two, why is that your friend group? And I understand that geography actually does legit have something to do with it. Um, But I also think it's like, there's just not an awareness of it. And you know, I would, I would call bullshit on geography because you know what? You were talking to somebody that's a hermit. (laughs) Like I was sharing with you last night. Yeah. You know, I've never, I was never, I never went to like a wimp salon before, you know, um, and I was sharing, I, I, I was talking with, um, a lovely woman, um, before the whole entire thing got started, you know, and <clears throat> I was saying that most of the time when I come into a space, Historically, and this is like the thing that's shifting, but historically, most of the time that I've come into a space, particularly if it's like within the industry and it's more than three people, um, I A, don't feel like I belong and I feel that... um, There's really something I feel to be said about um, that I I haven't earned the space that I'm in. Mm. I I haven't earned the right to be in the space that I'm in. That um, because and this goes, I think, to like a, a bigger thing where, at least for me that idea of quote unquote playing small yes yeah. it connects with the being nice mm-hmm. not causing waves yeah. being good yeah 
keeping everything at a two, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and because God forbid you get above a two, God forbid. Um, then you're difficult. Then you're difficult. You're a cunt. You're loud, brash, uh, ruthless, um, unhirable. Yeah. Uh, gold digging, social climbing. Uh, what are all the negative words? Diversity filler. Oh yeah. Sorry. Token. Token. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Um, and like I I'm like I know that like you and I have like been like getting to know each other like throughout this like past year um and like obviously everybody that's listening you can't actually see what I'm doing but sometimes I really do need to close my eyes to get very centered and very focused um because I don't like to I don't like to I like to keep my words to minimum if that makes sense. I use my words sparingly. <sighs> <clears throat> So I really feel like there is something within our culture, like, and again, obviously, like, throughout the whole entire fucking country, like, I don't care if you're in tech, you're, you know, like, publishing, entertainment, music, finance, pick an industry, like, pick a fucking industry, Um, medicine, It's really, it's really fucking exhausting um, getting to be a woman in the space with which is the world. Can I ask you a question, though? No. All right. <laughs> of course you can. Um, so I'm really curious about this because when you were saying that when you go into rooms in the industry with more than three people... I was prepared for you to go in a totally different direction mm. because you've been in the business for so long. Almost 30 fucking years. Can and you that? 28. You, you have phenomenal credits to your name. Mean shit. I know. Excuse me. You've made great work, which and is more than most people in this business can say. You've made great work. And... This business is not built on valuing that. Exactly. Right? Yes. So so two separate things. Yes. Um, and now all of a sudden I've Sorry. answered my question about why do you not feel like you necessarily belong there? Because the things that you have done, which are in fact intrinsically valuable, are not the things that are valued. So this makes sense to me now. Yeah. And there's something, there's something added that I, there's something, um, because it's never it, it's never black and white. It's never one plus one equals two, right? You know, it's a plus broccoli minus cauliflower times a carrot plus a flank steak equals great dinner. Whatever the fuck, <laughs> it's it's so fucking insane, 
you know, um, Well, so, okay, so the the question, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to interrupt go, you. Go, 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 the, go. the question is really, like, do you feel like that is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this, and maybe it's a leading question. Do you feel like that is yours, or do you feel like that is cultural? And does it even matter to distinguish, or... Um, Or is it actually important for us to start to unpack, like, what is ours that is the uniqueness of our own experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus what is, like... A collective. In the ether that we all do. We all over-apologize. We're taking mm-hmm. care of everyone's feelings. Yeah. We're holding the space for people who don't need it, don't deserve it, and may, in fact, have abused us. Yeah. Um all of those things are true and and like I don't have the experience of not uh, f- not feeling like I belong in a space because for me bringing people into a space and holding the space for them is kind of how I relate to the world. Yes. 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 So that's like, that's mine. Yes. That is a thing that if you ask my mother, I was born with, I was always organizing shit and bringing people together to do things. And like, that's how I operate in the world. Yeah. Um, and all of those other things, the over apologizing and mm-hmm. all those things, I, I, I share those with you. Yeah, for sure. And with that too, I feel like, you know, I'm not a quote-unquote doer mm-hmm. until I'm a quote-unquote doer, meaning I really do take my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really great at organizing events. Mm-hmm. I'm not, that is not, I'm not good at it yep. at all. Um, what I'm really great at, though, is getting to organize energy. Oh, And I'm really great at getting to see the truth in whether it's a script, whether it's um, a person's experience. Like, I get to be a seer in that way. Yeah, you've just described, like, the necessary predisposition for a great actor. And I would say a great storyteller. Yeah. For, yes. You know? Yes. Where it's, you know, the, the reason that people go to the movies is not to, and I said this to you the fucking like first night we ever fucking met. You know, people don't go to the movies to see movie stars. They go to the movies to see themselves. Yeah. You know, or the version of, again, I, I, I I don't even need to be like, or the version that they wish that they could be, or they aspire to be. They go to the movies to see themselves in whatever fucking capacity. Mm-hmm. That's why people go, you know, um, because we're not identifying and relating with the outside quote unquote story points. We're always relating to the internalized feelings that are um, <clears throat> shown on screen, 
you know, and, and we all identify with struggle. We all identify with terror. We all identify with longing. We all identify with love. We all identify with rage. We all identify with helplessness. We all identify with all of these different facets of emotion that make up the human experience. Um, and so when it comes to, No, I will share this. I'll I'll share it. So I got to have the experience of um, being at Chelsea Handler's house, who, like, was hosting an event. And I had just, prior to getting there, um, I had been given an audition by my agent, to which I said no to because I intuitively, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And she got very upset and wasn't able to receive the no. Um, which I think it's like also like, a another thing that is that maybe should be saved for another podcast, you know, but she wasn't able to receive the no and in her not being able to receive the no, she'd asked me a question essentially, um, being like, may I ask why? Because they will. And I remember reading the response and feeling a, that my no wasn't received, that it wasn't enough that like, I needed it to be more, which felt like such an incredible violation mm-hmm. um, on so many levels that maybe even like a year ago or like two years ago, I wouldn't have felt because I've, I've been so conditioned to um, question my no yeah. and to retract my no yep. because somebody else um, doesn't agree with it and doesn't like it. And that it's more important for me to satisfy their yes than to stand by my no. Yeah. Um, because saying no to someone else is really getting to say yes to me. So every single time I, I acquiesce then my personal no and end up doing something and betraying self in that way. Um, That's part of like being a team player. That's part of like being that good girl. That's, That's part, part of, of that. being a team player. If you're a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I bring this up because I remember sitting in the car on, on the way to Chelsea's house. And again, I normally say no to everything. Hence hermit. Like, hence fucking hermit. And I really confused hermit and hobbit for a long time. You know? like <laughs> I'm a hobbit. And they're like, you're definitely not a hobbit. Listen, have you seen my feet? <laughs> um, I have. Just they are not hobbit-like. No, they're not. They're very, very tiny. They're very dainty. I, I'm Good a, lord. Well, they're dancer's feet. I'm a, I like my feet have shrunk. They're now a five and a half. Yeah, there are five and a half, and I have like a dancer's arch. Folks at home, my feet are literally two times, two X the size. Yeah, I literally feel like it's like I have a child's foot. It's really great for um, 
sample sales, which I never go to, but because I, you don't go to things because I don't go to things. Start going on your behalf just because I know someone who wears five and a half, which I've never known. I mean, other than like, you know, eight year olds. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. No, you're outside okay. Chelsea's house. So like you're reading up, the so response, like, like, and I'm, I'm, and I'm so grateful that I get to have a partner with which I, um, get to be so honest with and, and provide such a beautiful, she holds such a beautiful, incredible space for me with which I get to, um, be messy with my feelings. Um, because normally I like to be very clear before again, like I speak and, so by the time we get to Chelsea's house, like I'm feeling good. And I feel like, yes, like this is exactly where I'm meant to be right now. And I felt a part of, and I felt connected and I felt great. And then as the night wore on and more people left and more people left and more people left, and there were just a few people left, I remember getting to see like Chelsea sitting with like, three or four other women, like including my partner. And I remember that feeling like in my stomach, like, am I allowed to go there? Like, am I allowed to sit with them? Mm. You know, it, it like, for those classic xenophiles, I was having like a real Don Wiener moment, but like not because Don Wiener was actually never that fucking insecure. Um, she fucking wasn't. She was a badass fucking bitch. <laughs> um, long may she live in rain in people's hearts, even though Todd Solon's killed her. But that's another story. Anyway, um, but then she came back with uh, Greta Gertwig. Um, good for her. Anyway. <laughs> And I know that sounded that I desired to have that sound like I was sarcastic in saying that, but like, um, I just thought it was funny and now I'm getting to see that. Like maybe it wasn't, and I don't want anybody to read into it. Anyway, <laughs> the whole entire point is, um, I was like, fuck. I, I felt like I was a kid and like, am I allowed? Like, am I allowed because I was looking at these women that I saw as so incredibly powerful that were so comfortable within their power. Mm. And earlier that evening, I, it was something that was so small, but that had made me feel so powerless. Yeah. Um, and especially the fact that like it was um, an experience with another woman. You put your finger on something that I haven't heard this way before. And I'm going to say it about the workplace experience specifically, because that was a work interaction for mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. where your no was not honored. Mm-hmm. This is a, a like kind of a perfect illustration of the consistent undermining of women and people in structures of great power differential that that the person in power gets to determine whether your no is correct or not and you guys that is about consent that 
you can be asked, do you consent or not? And you might say no. And that person might be like, that's not okay. Have you given, and, and then, and then you're expected to go, okay, yes. And my question about that is, is that consent? And this is why the consent conversation around sex is so complicated because, um, I will share this. The first time I had sex, uh, I was really young. I had an older boyfriend. I didn't want to do it and he really wanted to do it. And my experience was we were like making out the way we always made out. And then he worked his pants off and my pants off. And then there was a condom on the table. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm just not ready. Yeah. Like I was present of mind enough at 14 years old to be like, I'm just not ready. Yeah. And then he got mad and then he pouted and then he said he felt stupid. And why did I, you know, like, why did I make him feel stupid? And then I was like, fine. Yeah. I said, fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I technically verbally consented. Yeah. Because I was not permitted, I felt, to say no safely. Yes. And this is like, so that's the sex example. But now there's the workplace example that you give. And, and that, is a, that is an experience that people don't know they're having all the damn time in relationships of great power differential. And yeah. like men should be able to listen to that and be like, I know that feeling. I identify with that feeling. And, and, and that's where, like, it, if we can find, like, if we can find the places where it is not a gendered experience necessarily, although it is disproportionately felt by women, this like bowling over of consent. I think there are tons of men out there who bowl over women's consent all the time, not in the bedroom, outside of the bedroom where they're like, I determine who gets to say yes or no here. And you don't realize that culturally what you are doing is creating a space where it's okay for somebody to ignore someone's no. Yes. 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 And to not receive it. This is a huge idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's, um, and, and here's the thing that's interesting, right? My agent works for me. You gotta tell, tell them that. Like my agent works for me. Yeah. I don't work for my agent. However, right? And 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 I can only speak for me personally, right? Where and like when you talked about like my body work and I was like it means shit. Um I I say that half kiddingly, right? And and this I use this example, right? So the, the Alchemist, mm-hmm. um, which is such an incredible book, you know, and and the talk about your personal legend in the pyramid, mm-hmm. right? And I know I've always known what my pyramid is. I've always known what my personal legend is. Mm-hmm. Always, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> Then you add on to the fact of, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. And then here come individuals um, that are supposed to assist you in getting to that personal legend, getting to that pyramid, getting to that treasure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're saying, actually, 
you're going to need to go this way. And in my experience, it's always been, wait, no, I just came that way. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's not the way to go because this is, do, do you see that? That's where I'm going. I'm going East. Right. Why are you telling me to go West and South? Right. And, and they double down. No, this is, and then that self doubt of, okay, well, maybe they know of a trap door. Maybe they know of right. something. What maybe do they know that was, I don't know? Yeah. Maybe there was something that I missed. Mm-hmm. And so like you're willing to give a little bit of power, right? And then you have hope and you have faith, even though there's something within like the back of you that's like, this doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. but I've been conditioned to not trust my feelings because others know better than me. Like, yeah. Or my feelings are my weakness as opposed to my source, my source of power. Yeah. Or my, my feelings are really my ego. My feelings are me being too sensitive. My feelings are too needy. Um, or too pie in the sky or too out there or be realistic. And I know this is the reality and ba, 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 ba. Um, and then you start to see, and I know I'm totally disassociating with the sentence. Um, and I don't want to, I've let others guide me away from my peer, my pyramids for a really long time because I didn't feel as though I had the right to say no Mm -hmm. because I was conditioned to believe that other people knew more than I did right and that they had more power than I did in order for me to get to where it was that I desired Mm -hmm. um and then thinking that they had my best interest at heart which made it that that much more difficult right um so there's something that for me, at least like within this past year and like, within it's a continual evolution where I get to see now that I needed to have all of those experiences in order to be that much more secure with my yes and with my boundaries. Um, and yes. And Mm. if you are not culturally conditioned to mistrust your own instincts, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't need a lifetime of experience to counter teach you to trust your instincts. So I feel like this is a bit of cultural apologizing that we do of like, you know, I could only arrive here from this very journey. And it's like, sure. And if I didn't have to put up with the shit I put up with all this time, like I wouldn't, and was cultured not, to have tools for, um, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had to learn this the fucking hard way. And with that though, I wouldn't be exactly who I am and I fucking love who I am. You know what I mean? Where it's like my strength, 
Like who I get to be today that does not honestly give a fuck that is getting to really learn and earn her fucking muscle. Yeah. In regards to, I, I lived my life as a terrified being for the first 33 years. Right. And I mean, terrified on a daily basis. Right. Where I was so hyper aware of everything that to the point of numbness. Um, so now like I get to be in a position, um, where, um, I, I wouldn't be able to be filled with the gratitude that I have and what I mean by that very specifically is that I do not take my strength for granted. Sure. It is well earned. I do not take my experience for granted. It is well earned, which means I do not take my power for granted, which means that I have an incredible amount of respect mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. because I... You earned it. I And I know that the... I know the tenacious blow it can yield based upon what happens when you first gain access to power and you're going to hit some people in the face and are going to be like, you fucking hit me in the face. Right. You know? Um, and like that thing of like with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And I feel like, um, the amended version of that with is, um, with power that is consciously earned mm-hmm. and cultivated. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean as opposed to like a culturally bestowed? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my power was not bestowed. Right. My power was fucking... Undermined. And, and, and again, then... there's like varying degrees. There right. is definitely varying fucking degrees because I'm very, very, very aware of my privilege. You know, and that that also doesn't discount my experience as a being. Right. I'm thinking about, so that all makes sense to me in, in terms of the society that we live in today, Mm -hmm. where we have to take into consideration the power structures in which we have developed as human beings Mm -hmm. from very small, like the hemispheres of our brain don't talk to each other when we come out of the womb. Like they don't even start talking to each other and we're getting the signals from outside about how to be a boy, how to be a girl, how to be a person, how to be a white person, how to be a black person. Um, Those are all coming in as the brain is forming, right? So there's like, let's not talk about biological differences. We'll never have a control group. Yeah. We don't have a control group for what happens when... Uh, when there are biological differences in a society without these intrinsic entrenched power and privilege structures. What I was, what I was trying to get at was you have to make as a part of your character, 
the struggle to get the very thing that I think we mutually agree every human is owed, Mm. which is their own sense of humanity, sovereignty, power. Yes. Um, And we have our experience of it as white women of different, you know, backgrounds and who grew up in different places. Um, And other people have different experiences of having to struggle for it and earn it. And I'm saying that this thing that we have done, which is to make it a a point of pride Mm. that we've had to earn back our humanity from being born into a negative situation Mm. is like part of this internal uh, circus act yeah. That we contortion act is the word yeah. I was specifically looking for in order to, um, mm. I think like feel good yes. about having accomplished a thing we should never have been asked to do in the first place. Yes. And yes. that becomes an intrinsic part of our identity. Yes. We can't do anything about that now because yeah. we grew up how we grew up with the societies it was and the influences that we had. And I will say, like, I want to start to tackle all of these internal mechanisms that make us blind to the power structure that forced us to have to earn back our humanity in the first place. That, that's where I feel like we still have the work to do. And that's where I think men are really fucking struggling in the wake of Me Too is having to see laid bare that they simply do not face the struggles and they're having to look at the characters of all of the people around them specifically women people of color people of different abilities people of different classes yeah uh and say i did not have to do what you did to arrive where i am yes yes i did not have to earn back my humanity yes yeah, because you were born with it. And that that is the the piece that I feel like we haven't like named out loud in a well, it, at least for me, this is like the framework that's helping me assimilate all of this and and I do for better or for worse know that it is my responsibility with certainly my husband, my 14-month-old son and certain of my friends who really do rely on me for this to like bring this back to them and help organize their energy in this, um, in this moment that like, should I have to do this for them? No. Yeah. Do I think there's any other way? No, I don't. And so like, it's these conversations, honestly, Heather, like the ones that you're having us record. I was halfway through this conversation. I was like, I don't feel like I'm offering anything of value. I mean, I'm getting to listen to some like interesting revelations. And then you're saying things that are making me look at my unrelated problems and situations in totally different ways. And that makes me think about an earlier moment where I joked about, you know, we don't get together in person because it's all happening on social media, how fucking important it is to get in the room with people yes. and listen to them. Yes. Because they're going to say something 
well, sorry, I have the benefit of being in the room with like a very smart person, right? So that helps. But like you listen to them, smart, self-aware person who's like done work. Um, all those things really help. Um, to reorganize your own thinking, to clarify the things that you then bring back to your group of friends to whom you're responsible as part of the collective consciousness and intelligence of that group to serve. Yes. Yes. And I would say that not everybody is worthy of that. And in, in, in this way. Yeah. Um, and I, I know we've got to wrap it up, but I, I, I will say, because as you're sitting here and, and, and I'm, I'm hearing every single thing that you're saying, you know, the individuals um, that I get to see that are not doing the work that, you know, are doing the shiny, you know, glazed donut version of what the work is and mm-hmm. being like, well, look at all the work. And I'm like, that's not the work. You ain't doing shit. Yeah. And, and on top of that, because you're trying so hard to convince yourself that you're doing the work that I know you're not doing, I don't have the emotional energy with which to sit down and have a conversation with you. See, this is the thing about social media is we go on Facebook and we have this group of people called quote unquote friends. They're not my friends. Yeah. I have really... Uh, a couple handfuls, I'm very lucky actually, like like several really close friends who I really consider part of this intellectual community who, um, who I would, uh, go to, go to the mat for who I would call if I feel like they fucked up and try to find the gentlest way to like bring them to the other side who I would talk to for two hours about what I feel like are like intrinsically misogynistic beliefs that I know that you wish you didn't have who um who I really consider friends and yet I am totally guilty of burning so much energy that should only be for them and for me and for my family and for my work uh, trying to have these conversations with people I don't really know that well. And they're only uh, friends because Facebook decided that's what this relationship is called. Like people I met once, basically. Mm, mm, um, I'm mm. a little bit more careful about whose requests I accept. But I feel like we're diffusing so much of the energy that we would spend like using the energy to go out of the house to meet with people. And, and I know that I am more of a hermit than I ever was. And I was a social fucking butterfly. Like I'm more of a hermit than I ever was because I, I feel like the energy getting drained, um, all the time. And I think it's because we're diffusing it, interacting with people who aren't like, I was going to say who aren't our people and that, that sounds like I really want to close off. I actually think if we invested very locally all the energy that we have for this, the way that our communities naturally intersect one over the other, over the other, over the other, it would have a more powerful effect in some ways than uh, the sort of diffuse, I don't know, 
comments argument between two people who've never met who have one mutual acquaintance. Yeah, I like and for me, like I'm I'm thinking more of people that I've worked with, Mm -hmm. people that are in my circle in a business way. Right. You know, but they're not your friends. They're not my friends. And yet with that, too. Um, they are in my life for a certain reason, purpose, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and there's always the hope at least that maybe they'll get it, but then survey says they won't. Right. And, and to me, it doesn't mean that they're horrible individuals. You know, like that's never what I felt. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like just a few individuals in my life, but it's their, um, defensiveness and the, the tools that they've employed in order to, um, stave off smelling insecure in whatever way, you know, Mm -hmm. to the point that they... Emotional deodorant? Yeah, to the point that they... I love that. Emotional deodorant. But to the point that they they almost forget what they're originally afraid of. Yeah. It's like, I need to do X, Y, and Z to to prove to myself that I'm not afraid and to prove to everyone else that I'm not afraid. Right. Um, And... Oh... I got to do even more. I got to do even more until they're literally lost in a concophony of, of bullshit. And, and you're just like, I see who you are as a being, but a, I'm not a therapist and you're not paying me for 25 an hour. So I have no time to unpack that shit, you know? And like with that too, um, it doesn't mean that I don't love who you are like as a soul and a being within the coreness of you. And it also doesn't mean that I'm going to invest my energy in your egoic, reactive, defensive um, defects of character. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put gas into that. I'm not going to put emotional energy. I'm not going to put time to defuse this shit. And I'm not going to sit down and be like, Hey, let's try to have an honest conversation because I know you're not going to hear me. I know I'm not going to be received. And so that's why I'm very selective. Like Nick Dawson, I knew he would be able to receive what I had to say because he's doing the work. Yeah. Because he's not trying to hide. He's trying to unpack. He's trying to learn. He's trying trying to to add value. Yes, exactly. Like real social value. Absolutely. And, and I I don't have time for the others that don't. I just don't like maybe next lifetime. Not this one. I've got too much to do. I'm going to operate on the notion that there isn't a next lifetime because I'm just so tired like to think about having to do this again, bonkers. I, I, I know. Listen, speaking of next lifetime, speaking of next lifetime, there um, is a fat baby, uh, and a wonderful babysitter who needs relieving. Um, 
Yes. And I, I, I'm so grateful that you came on. Thank you. I, this has been my complete pleasure. It's like blown my mind. Um, so everybody listen, Emily Best, Seed and Spark, like if you're a filmmaker, you know, like check it out. If you're somebody that is actually looking for content that is inclusive and diverse, that is unique and original and fucking brilliant and incredible, check it out. Fucking subscribe. I'm looking forward to like getting to work actually with Seed and Spark. Um, and, um, yeah, like, and everybody just like follow Emily Best, follow Seed and Spark on Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz. And, um, can you just not wrap up without pointing out that at the height of the mayhem, when all of the helicopters were going mm-hmm. and like possibly there was a murder in your neighborhood mm-hmm. is when all the animals fell asleep. Yeah, I know. Just no help whatsoever. Yeah, none. <laughs> like, abso- like, absolutely none. They're, they're like, what else? We've done our part. Out. We're we're all good. Um, <laughs> we take on your emotional human baggage. Um, <laughs> we don't need to do any more. Um, but again, like, thank you, Emily. Thank you. Um, and everybody, this has been another episode of Shut Up and Listen with me, Heather Matarazzo. Um, and we will be back next week with another awesome guest. Maybe we'll see. All right. Love you guys. Bye.